we've been learning a lot about, obviously, what prayer is and, and the context of prayer in our life and how many times there's so many different reasons and things that drive us to our knees or cause prayer in our lives. And sometimes prayer is, it, it can be about very general things, but sometimes it has a very specific purpose or cause behind it. And we're going to take a look at one of those instances today in the Word of God where there's a very specific reason that drives the prayer we're going to look at today from 2 Kings chapter 6. I want to begin, though, just reading in verse 8 so that we can have sort of the context of what's happening here uh, at this time in history uh, so that we see what's, what's going on a little bit and sort of get caught up, if you will, in the story. All right? So I'm going to begin reading in 2 Kings chapter 6, beginning at verse 8. Now the king of Syria was at war with Israel. He consulted his advisors who said, Invade at such and such a place. But the prophet, who in this case we're going to find out, is Elisha. The prophet of Elisha said and sent this message to the king of Israel, basically warning him about the plans of the king of Syria. And says, make sure you don't pass through this place because Syria is invading there. So the king of Israel sent a message to the place the prophet had pointed out, warning it to be on its guard. And this happened, the Bible says, on several occasions. And you can imagine how that was making the king of Syria, right? And that's exactly what it says in verse 11. This made the king of Syria upset. That's putting it mildly. The word in the Hebrew is, he was enraged. He was as humanly upset as you could be. Every time he tried to get a leg up on invading Israel... And, and, and destroying his enemy here and whatever, it seemed like they always knew what his plans were before he and his army got there. And this was absolutely exasperating and frustrating to the king of Israel. So he summoned his advisors in verse 11 and says to them, one of us must be helping the king of Israel. There's got to be an informant in my government. There's got to be an inside job here and that's why Israel is knowing what's happening uh, before we even get there. Now, I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us how one of his advisors knows this. Is one of his advisors, uh, did they have a relationship with God? Uh, did God give this person revelation? We don't know how he knows what he knows. But what this advisor of the king of Syria knows is absolutely accurate. Notice what one of his advisors says to him. No, my master, it's not one of us, he says, oh, my king. The prophet Elisha, who lives in Israel, keeps telling the king of Israel the things that you say in your bedroom. In other words, basically, the advisor to the king of Syria is saying, their God, he's omniscient. He's all-knowing. Nothing is hidden from him. O king, even the things that you whisper in your bedroom, his God knows about, and his God tells his prophet, and his prophet then tells the king of Israel. That's what's happening. And we obviously are reminded of that 
attribute of God. As the writer of Hebrews says, nothing is hidden from the sight of God. And one of the things that a prophet was, especially in the Old Testament, those who hold or held the position of prophet in the nation of Israel, was that God many times would give them and reveal to them a great insight into things that obviously no one else would know about. And it reminds us how God works. And we know that God still works this way today. In fact, I've had some of you come up to me after one of my messages and actually accuse me of bugging your house. Because the things that I'm talking about or that we're talking about here on Sunday or on Tuesday, just as exactly what either you've been talking about or you've been needing to hear or you've been struggling with ever, and you're like, I can't believe how God can just fashion his message just to my situation. Well, that's because it's God, it's not me. You know, that's what God does. In fact, that's the amazing thing that God does every time you and I get into the Word of God or we hear a message from God, even from somebody else that doesn't know what we're going through, is that God can take His Word and can personally fashion it and design it so that it hits us exactly where we need it to hit at any given situation that we're finding ourselves in. And that's what was happening here. So notice, the king, in verse 13, then orders, go find out where this prophet is, Elisha. So I can send some men to capture him. Well, that's putting it pretty nicely. He wants to permanently shut him down, if you will, and shut him up. So the king of Syria was told he is in Dothan. So that's where the king of Syria now sends his troops. So notice, this is one man, right? Elisha, but the king of Syria is all about overkill, if you will, here. And he's all about, I'm going to make sure that this prophet doesn't, you know, isn't a thorn in my side any longer. So notice, the king of Syria sent horses and chariots there, along with a good-sized army. Literally in the Hebrew, he was displaying great strength and power here against one man, Elisha. Okay? And they arrived during the night and surrounded the city. So now, put yourself in this place in the Bible. You know? Maybe you are going to be like Elisha's servant. And you and Elijah, it's just the two of you. And you're there in Dothan. And, and Elisha's been warning the king of Israel about what the king of Syria is trying to do and been thwarting him at every turn. And at night, unbeknownst to you, you and Elisha just have fallen asleep like you have every other night. But now, this huge Syrian army has basically surrounded the city and surrounded you and Elisha. And notice then what happens in verse 15. The prophet's attendant got up early in the morning, and when he went outside, there was an army surrounding the city, along with horses and chariots. And he says to Elisha, Oh no, my master, what will we do? Now, 
You may not have had a situation in your life where you, know, you got up one morning and you looked outside your house and there was an army around your house. But we have all been in this similar position in life, just like Elisha's attendant. Where we went to bed one night and everything was normal and things were just carrying on like they were. And the next day, either something was presented to us or we got news about something or whatever that just turned our world upside down. And all of a sudden now we are faced with something that we didn't even see coming. And what was, would our response be? God, what am I going to do? What will we do? We've all been there. We've all probably either whispered those words or said those words out loud maybe many times throughout our life. We went to bed and here was the situation and we got up the next day or we went through this day and by the end of this day, 24 hours later or less than 24 hours later, our life looks totally different and we're you know, crying out to God, God, what will we do? And here's the response of the prophet to his attendant. First of all, he says this. Don't be afraid. Don't fear. And in the original language, it is also meant don't stand in awe of this army that you see around you. In other words, as we've talked about before, Stand in awe of God always. For when you and I are in a position where we are worshiping God, where we are standing in awe of Him, where He has proper place and position in our lives, where He is high and lifted up, then we are going to have very, very little chance That anything that comes into our life, anything that we unexpectedly face, anything that comes up in our life is going to put us in awe of that whenever we are already living in awe of God. That God will be so big and so great in our eyes that no matter what we have to face, fear will not fill our lives. Because God does not want us to live in fear. In fact, the most often uh, commandment you'll find in the Bible, Old and New Testament, is don't fear, don't be afraid. It's used more than any other. God understands us as human beings pretty well. And He knows how easily we can get anxious and worried and, and fearful about things. And God is calling us to a life of worship of Him and standing in awe of Him rather than standing in awe of all these other things. Especially things that are man-made, you will, or of earth. And that's what was happening here. The prophet Elisha was trying to reassure, if you will, his own servant, his own attendant, and saying, don't fear this great army that you see around you now. Then he goes on to say this. This is why he tells him, do not be afraid. For our side outnumbers them. Now I'm sure at this point, 
Even though this attendant has been alongside of Elisha for a long time now, he's probably coming to the realization that I think my master's a little crazy. I think he finally went over the edge. Our side outnumbers them. It's you and me, Elisha. That's all I see. And yet I see this huge army of Syria all around us. Now, a couple things here before we move on. Why does Elisha use the phrase, our side? A couple reasons. One, he's reminding us that you and I truly do get to choose the side that we're on or that's on our side, if you will. We get to choose that. I mean, think of the end of the book of Joshua, where the great general Joshua stood up before the nation of Israel and basically challenged them, choose you this day whom you're going to serve. Who are you going to worship? Are you going to worship those false gods that aren't any gods at all? Are you going to finally stand up and worship the one true God? As for me and my house, we've made our choice. We have chosen to serve the Lord. But the choice is up to us. You know, are we going to be on God's side? And are we going to choose God in our life? Or are we choosing to find our security and our stability uh, and our comfort, if you will, and our peace in other things or other people? It's our choice. God gives us that choice. But when we make that choice, then in a sense, we place ourselves on one side or the other, if you will. Because there is sides here. The Bible teaches us there has been an epic, ever-long battle, if you will, ever since creation between good and evil. And you and I choose which side we want to be on and which side, in a sense, we support and, and which side you know, we're going to live for. And so he's pointing that out. But Elisha's also saying this. He's saying to his servant, do you realize what, what you're going to see in just a moment? I hope. That they're here because of us. This invisible army that you're going to see in just a few minutes that you can't see yet. They're here. Not because of it. They're here because of us. Because we've chosen to place our faith and trust in God, our confidence in Him. He's watching out for us even when we don't know it and realize it. And that's part of what God wants us to realize as well. And then He says, our side outnumbers them. This isn't so much teaching us that, that literally that, you know, this angelic army that we're going to be introduced to in a minute literally physically outnumbers the army of Syria. It's very possible. But what the word literally means is our side is greater. Our side's stronger. Our side's more able than their side. Because we've got a spiritual army that's stronger than any human army that could ever be assembled or massed against anyone. Our side's enough. Because if it's from God, then... It's unconquerable. There's no one that's going to stand in the way when this thing gets sent from God, no matter what it is. It's of God. And anything not of God is inferior to anything that is of God. And so that's implied here as well. And then notice, 
what Elisha does. After he basically tells his servant and attendant, don't be afraid, then the Bible says in verse 17, Elisha prayed. And notice the prayer of Elisha for his friend and his servant. He says, O Lord, open his eyes so he can see. A specific prayer born out of a specific situation, but one that I wanted to talk about today because I think it's a significant prayer that you and I need to be praying for ourselves and obviously praying and interceding for others as well. A couple things here. First of all, you'll notice in your Bible that when he addresses God, he calls him Lord, but it's not capital O or capital L, small O-R-D. This is capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. It is Jehovah. It is the covenant name for God in the Old Testament. It is the eternal self-existent one. And even in using that name for God, that designation for God, Elijah is reminding himself and his servant who he is. He is the Lord. There is no one greater. There is no one higher. And then he prays to the Lord. And by the way, can I just say, this is something that should always be an encouragement to us. That you and I, again, through the blood of Jesus Christ, have access to the Lord. We can appeal to the highest that there is in the universe. You know, sometimes we get frustrated even as Christians. Because it's like whether it's a situation at work or school or, or in your family or whatever. You, you've only got... You've only got uh, a certain uh, place to be able to appeal to, and you can't go any higher than that. It's like, well, the only person that I can talk to about this is so-and-so, and, and they're not the ones that, that, that run anything, or they're not really the ones that make the decisions, so I can't really appeal to anybody. Oh, don't ever feel that way as a Christian. We have the ability and the capacity and the access to appeal to the Lord of the universe at any time about anything. We can go to the highest court in the land. There is nobody greater in the universe that you and I have access to and can appeal to. So when you feel discouraged and in despair, that somehow on a human level, you can only go so high. Oh, don't ever feel like you can only go so high. You can always go to the highest God himself. And then Elisha says, Oh Lord, open his eyes. Those that are spiritually blind can only have their eyes opened by God. You and I don't have the ability to open other people's eyes. To help them to see things. We don't have that ability. Because it's a supernatural work of God. Which is why Elisha here, instead of trying to argue with the man or convince him, was like, no, 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 I see it. Why can't you see it? Like we do many times. We have somebody in our life that can't see something. They can't see the reality of something great. They can't see how things are affecting others. and the, They can't see it. And we're so desperate, we want them to be able to see what we see. And somehow we think if I, if I just have a, if I just fine tune my argument, if, if I am just more convincing, 
If I just keep with it, eventually they're going to see it. No, no, no. No. The only way people see spiritual reality in their life is when God opens their eyes. Only God can open the eyes of those who are spiritually blind and can't see things. You know this to be true even in your relationships. Whether it's even with your spouse or a friend or whatever, there's times where you can see something about someone else or another family member or a friend or whatever, and and they're just unwilling or just unable to see it. And you're like, this is so obvious. I can see it. They can't see it. And you're sitting there and you're going to, again, try, I'm going to try to, I'm going to try to give them evidence. I'm going to try to convince them that, so that they can see what I can see. Only the Lord can open people's eyes. That's why Elisha drops to his knees, if you will, and prays, God help him to see. And then the other point I want to make is this. The servant of Elisha had to see it for himself. He had to see it for himself. Again, it doesn't do us any good, no matter how convincing or confident or whatever we are, to say, I see it so clearly, how comes you can't see it and somehow think that this other person is going to be able to somehow truly capture what we can see that they can't see? Somehow through us. No, no, no. They've got to be brought to a place like the servant of Elisha where they can actually see it for themselves. And that's a work of God. It is a supernatural working of God in their life. And it's obviously got to be something that they are willing and want. Because God's not going to force His spiritual vision on anyone. Obviously here, we can conclude that The servant really did want to see what Elisha saw, but up to this point, he just couldn't. And when Elisha says, oh Lord, I pray, open his eyes so he can see. The word see here isn't to physically see. It's literally a word that describes spiritual vision. To be able to see the reality of something, even though physically I can't see it, if you will. And that's so important. Think of this as well. Are there many people that cannot perceive spiritual reality or things as they really are? Absolutely. But that is no proof that there's nothing to perceive. Let me repeat that. That's an important point. (laughs) Are there people that cannot perceive reality or spiritual reality? That's a true statement. But that's no proof that there's no reality not to perceive. It's there, they just can't see it. Just like sometimes in our life. There are things that are there, but we can't see them. We are blind to them. In fact, one of the sobering things in Scripture is the truth, in fact, that the Bible teaches that Christians, even though we are followers of Jesus Christ, we can become blind to things in our life. Second Peter chapter 1 talks all about this in the context of spiritual growth. Basically, Peter says this, you need to encourage Christians to spiritually keep growing and maturing because if they don't keep growing and maturing, they can become blind. That's pretty sobering. 
That's pretty tragic to think I can be a child of God and yet be blind to so many things. Yeah. Because our spiritual vision and sight comes through our ongoing fellowship and connection and communion with God, the Lord. The only one that can impart to us spiritual vision and insight into the reality of things that you and I cannot see. Have you ever prayed that prayer to God as a Christian? God, open my eyes that I might see what's really there that I can't perceive up to this point. This is why this concept of spiritual vision is so closely tied to the concept, if you will, of faith. They're not exactly the same, but but faith, in a sense, gives us the foundation so that we can have spiritual vision in our life. Think of, think of what the writer of Hebrews says about faith. Hebrews 11.1 1. Now faith is being sure of what we've hoped for and being certain about we, what we don't see. Let me repeat that because I messed that up. Faith is being sure of what we hope for, being certain about the things we do not see. Hebrews 11.1 1. I would encourage you as a Christian to do this. To sit down every once in a while and literally write down, what are the things that I'm certain about but I can't see? What are the things that I truly believe in, that I have confidence in, that I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, but I can't see them? I've never seen them, but I know they're real. I know they're there. That's faith. And that's really what then leads to spiritual vision. See, God wants each of us as His followers to be able to see and believe in the reality of what we can't physically see. Are you with me? Later on in Hebrews 11, there's this verse about Moses. In Hebrews 11, I think it's verse 27, where the author says, By faith Moses left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of Pharaoh, and he persevered by seeing the one who is invisible. Now think about that. Seeing the one who's invisible, that that doesn't even make sense. Yeah, it does. In other words, God was real to him. And even though God is spirit, and maybe you can't physically see him, you know he's there, and you know he's real. And the Bible says that's how Moses persevered in life. He continually saw the God that was invisible. Even Jesus refers to this in the Sermon on the Mount when he says, Blessed are the pure in spirit, for they shall what? See God. See God. Do you see God in your life? This is what God wants to lead all of us to. To that spiritual vision that we have. To be able to see reality as it is, without actually being able to physically see it. It's why Paul told the Corinthians, God never wants us to walk by sight alone, but by faith in Him and in His Word and what He's revealed. 
So with that all said, notice then next what happens. Elijah prayed, O Lord, open his eyes so that he can see. And the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he saw that the hill was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. God had an angelic army around Elisha and his servant that his servant couldn't see. So when he walked out that morning and saw the army of Syria surrounding them, he freaked out. My master, what are we going to do? And Elisha, he was calm. He was composed. It wasn't that he denied the reality of the Syrian army. Like some Christians, you know, they try to soothe themselves and make themselves feel better by trying to deny what's really there. Well, there's really not an army there. No, Elisha never did that. But what Elisha said was, but the reality of God and what we have through God is greater than this army that you see before you. God, open his eyes so that he can see this angelic army that surrounds us. By the way, one of my favorite verses out of the Psalms is Psalm 34, verse 7. The Lord's angel camps around the Lord's faithful followers and delivers them. It's one of the reasons why we don't, as Christians, if we're truly following the Lord, we don't have to live in fear in our lives. Now that doesn't mean that Jeff Royce doesn't lock my doors. I'm not going to be foolish. But can I tell you, that's about all I do. I lock my doors. Because I truly believe and I believe this for you too, not just for me, that God has angels around our house in Gold Canyon. God protects His own. And though I can't see those angels, I've never seen them with my physical eye, I believe that they are there. I believe that based upon the Word of God. Hebrews 1.14 says, Are not angels, ministering spirits, sent forth to minister to those who will inherit salvation? The primary role of angels today is to minister and serve the saints of God. And though I don't believe that each one of us has a particular guardian angel, as some do, because I don't believe you find that anywhere in the Bible where we have a one-on-one angel, I believe actually we do better than that. I believe we have groups of angels who watch over us, just as they were Elisha and his servant. But see, some Christians, some followers, even like Elisha's servant, they couldn't see that reality. And the best, if you will, remedy for that is for you and I to get on our knees and pray, God, help them to see what, what we know is there, but they can't see it yet. Open their eyes, God. Give them spiritual vision. But sometimes we need to pray that prayer for us as well. And so he saw these chariots of fire and horses surrounding them. And then the Bible says in verse 18, as this army approached Elisha, he prayed to the Lord, strike these people with blindness, this army from Syria. And so the Lord struck them with blindness as Elisha requested. God can give spiritual sight, but He can also make people spiritually blind when they're not interested in the truth. 
That's why it's very dangerous to reject truth in our life, because when we reject truth, we become way more vulnerable to that which is not true. And then Elisha says to them, This is not the right road or city. Follow me, and I will lead you to the man you're looking for. And Elisha wasn't lying. He was going to lead them right to the man he was looking for, but he was going to lead them right into the capital city of the kingdom of Israel when he did it. I want to make a point here before I wrap this up this morning. Notice how easily led by others spiritually blind people are. Don't miss that point here. The spiritually blind are easily led by others. That's why even it's so sad to see, even amongst those who profess to be Christians today, so many people following other people rather than following the Lord. And though you and I are to be an influence on each other, the primary person, if you will, and one that we should be following is the Lord, not primarily people. But when people don't have spiritual vision, when they're not able to see the spiritual realities that are there, they, 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 they look for what they can see. Because they, they can't see what they can't see. So the only thing they can see is the physical. And so they see these other Christians or people who profess to be Christians and they're going in this direction, so I guess I'll go too. That's where I'll go. Instead of tapping into that whole world that is something that we can't see. That's where God wants to get all of us. Which again is why spiritual growth in our life and maturity is the only thing that really brings that kind of spiritual vision about. So notice, he led them to Samaria, the capital city of the kingdom of Israel. And when they entered Samaria, then Elisha said, Okay, Lord, open their eyes so they can see. And the Lord opened their eyes, and they saw that they were in the middle of Samaria. Can you imagine? Here's this Syrian army. They've been sent out to capture this one prophet, this one guy, Elisha. And through a series of circumstances, not only have they not captured Elisha, but now the Syrian army finds themselves in the capital city of Israel. Oops. Not what the king of Syria had in mind or that had in mind. And notice when the king of Israel saw this big detachment of the Syrian army, he asked Elisha, should I strike them down, my master? Now think about this too. The king of Israel is calling this prophet of God, master, Yes, in this way, it's a great term of respect and honor. In other words, it shows the kind of influence that this prophet Elisha was having in the nation of Israel at this time, that even the king was using a term of great respect and honor to address Elisha. And notice what Elisha says. Do not strike them down. You did not capture them with your sword or bow, so what gives you the right to strike them down? Actually, give them some food and water so they can eat and drink, and then go back to their master. So notice what happens here. Elisha would have been fitting right in with the oasis. He threw a great potluck for them. <laughs> That's what it says. It says he threw a big banquet. And the army of Syria that had been dispatched by the king of Syria to come and basically kill him is now eating and drinking. 
and being taken care of in the capital city of Israel by the prophet Elisha. Now, here's another important principle before we wrap this up. What's Elisha doing here? He's repaying evil with good. The Bible says, be not overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. Elisha was not going to lower himself to treat his enemy, if you will, the way his enemy was treating him. He was going to treat his enemy much better. And notice because of that what the outcome is. Then he sent them back to their master in Syria. And after that, no Syrian raiding parties again invaded the land of Israel. Wow. What the Israelite army could not have accomplished without much fighting and loss of life, God did peacefully through one man. Think of that. The whole army of Israel would have never been able able to accomplish what Elisha accomplished peacefully without much fighting and loss of life. But God did it through one man that was willing to have spiritual vision and follow his God. I'm going to ask our worship team to come and get set But as they're coming, keep your focus here with me for just a moment. As I read and studied and immersed myself in this passage, God led me to basically two things that I want to leave with you today. One is, maybe I need to pray this prayer for me. God, Open my eyes. I need to see spiritual reality more. I I need to see what's really there, but that I physically can't see with my eyes. God, open my eyes. Give me spiritual vision, God, like never before. Maybe that's a prayer that God wants you to pray today. But maybe like Elisha, Maybe you're in a situation like he was, where you have a family member, a friend, a co-worker, a neighbor, someone that right now in their life, they're blind. And maybe they're even a Christian, but through their lack of growth and being faithful to the Lord, they've become blind. And they can't see what so clearly you can see. And maybe you just want to say and take the time today to do what Elisha did. To pray a very simple but powerful prayer. And spend some time saying, God, would you open their eyes? I know only you can do it. I can't do it. None of us can open other people's eyes. It's a work that only God can do when they're willing to have their eyes open. No amount of arguing and convincing is going to get them to see it. They've got to see it for themselves. And so maybe there's someone on your heart today that you so desperately want 
them to see what you can see. That you say, God, yeah, I I need to begin to pray this prayer. And so what we're going to do, as we always do here at the Oasis, is just encourage you that if you want to come here to the front, to this altar on Sunday mornings, that even though this is a school auditorium, this is now an altar before God. And maybe some of you would like to come here this morning and pour out your heart to God. Maybe it's, again, it's God help me to see something. But maybe it's an opportunity for you to come and say, God, help this person to see something. Open their eyes so they can see. I invite our those that are involved with our prayer ministry to come. And if you see like you think you have an opportunity to pray alongside or pray with somebody, I would encourage you to do it today. And listen, if you're here to pray and you just want to pray by yourself and you don't want somebody to pray with you or for you in any way, that's fine. Just politely tell them that. But maybe you do want somebody to come and pray with you or for you today. We want to make ourselves available to do that as we sing and close out our service today. Would you stand with me? And let's sing this song about the Lord giving us vision this morning. Those of you that want to join me down front, I invite you to do so.